Hello, constant listener, and a Merry Christmas to you. I admit, I love traditionalist activities of the Christmas season almost as much as I like Halloween. Even better, I love mixing the two. Bell Book and Candle, that's one of my favorite Christmas films, and many love Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. It may even surprise you to hear that The Woman in Black is actually a Christmas story. I'd argue the book, not exactly the film, but I'm sure as you're a horror lover like me, you know that the formula for Christmas, doing a remix with All Hallows' Eve spirit, that's not so unusual. The parallels that Christianism brought to December coincided with the winter solstice, a pagan practice. Paganism often aligned with witchcraft and ancient rituals. There is a deeper dive on being specific for pagans being different from Wicca or witches, but we're not going to expand on that today. Christmas and horror more frequently than realized have gone hand in hand for hundreds of years. Everyone knows the tale of a Christmas carol. It's not too far of a stretch to call it a ghost story. In fact, I got to view a first printing behind glass just this weekend. And it does explicitly state, a ghost story of Christmas. When I was a kid, it almost did not matter which version of Christmas Carol I watched. The ghost of Christmas future, oh, it scared me every time. But in later years, as I read the book, I found that most of the ghosts have some kind of haunting feature about them, even for something as jolly as the ghost of Christmas present. Right before midnight, the ghost of Christmas present is to leave. Scrooge looks toward his feet and asks the spirit, Forgive me if I am not justified in what I ask, said Scrooge, looking intently at the spirit's robe. But I see something strange and not belonging to yourself, protruding from your skirts. Is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw, for the flesh is there upon it, was the spirit's sorrowful reply. Look here. From the foldings of its robe, it brought forth two children, wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. They knelt down at its feet and clung upon the outside of its garment. Oh, man, look here. Look, look, down here. They were a boy and a girl, yellow, meager, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostrate too in their humility, where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with its freshest tints. A stale and shriveled hand like that of age had pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds. Where angels might have sat enthroned, devils lurked and glared out menacing. No change, no degradation, no perversion of humanity in any grade through all the mysteries of the wonderful creation has monsters half so horrible and dread. Spirit, are they yours? Scrooge could say no more. They are man's, said the spirit looking down upon them and they cling to me, appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance. This girl is want. Beware of them both, and all their degree. But most of all, beware of this boy, for on his brow I see that written, which is 
doom. Have they no refuge or resource? cried Scrooge. Are there no prisons? said the spirit, turning on him for the last time with his own words. Are there no workhouses? I'm Tasha Wheelhouse, and this is Copper Shock. This happened last Christmas, just before the pandemic broke out. I'm 24 years old and was completely excited to go to Oahu. My roommate and I had become extremely good friends over the prior year living together during my third year in college. I've trusted Capono with most everything in my life. He was there for me when my mom died, and I'm not very close to my dad for, let's just say reasons. Capono didn't like me calling him his full name, so I'd nickname him Cap with the other mutual friends we had at school. He'd always wink and joke saying, that's him, the Cap. You know, like Captain America. Cap would tell me stories about growing up on Oahu, and how every Christmas his mother would host a luau with traditional pork, rice, and poi. Games would be played, and just sitting out on his porch, listening to the waves that washed over and over again with a blanket of stars overhead. He said that the beach creates the best song in the world. It just brings him so much peace. I didn't know what to expect when we got to the island. It was a bit of a rough flight, but six hours and a sore neck later, I could feel a wall of humidity come at me as we walked off the plane. Honolulu is big, like a massive city skyscraper kind of big, all packed up against a coastline. But I remember we turned this one corner on the road and I felt myself smile. Huge, sweeping countryside of the island. Nothing but green intercut with small pockets of house roofs. When we got to Cap's house, I got out of the car and took it all in. His family home was a simple one, a wood-built shack with three bedrooms, kitchen, and a small living room. There were pictures on the wall from the 1940s hung up with pride. His tutu, grandmother, happily stood up from the couch and insisted on big hugs to Cap and I both. She pressed her forehead and nose into mine and took a deep breath. I was a little startled, but allowed her into my personal space. She muttered something to me in Hawaiian that I didn't understand and patted my head. She then shuffled away into the kitchen. Kapono then gave me a slap on the back and said, It's a hongi greeting. It means to share one's breath. She's welcoming you into the home like family. I was really touched by that. I didn't say anything, mostly because I almost cried. What immediate love was freely given to me as an outsider? But all inside of 45 seconds, I didn't feel like an outsider anymore. Cap took me to all the sites that were touristy for Oahu, but he'd also take me to his favorite hiking trails and some off the beaten path. Hawaii is heaven on earth. The air is thick with the salt of the ocean mixed with the perfume of the vegetation that's everywhere. It's so green, with little pops of color from wildflowers that command your attention for how vibrant they are. The whole house was getting ready for Christmas night and hosting the luau for the neighbors. I was asked to help prepare a portion of the food. I'm not much of a chef, but Cap insisted I be part of the activity. I made poi, like actual poi. Turns out it's really good and it's very simple to make. It's pretty similar to how you make mashed potatoes. Because it's made from taro root, there's a sweetness and a spice about it that honestly makes me think of general Christmas smells on its own. 
how competitive their family got for the Ulumaika. There are two stakes driven into the ground six inches apart. You stand back about three to fifteen feet and roll a palm-sized heavy ball through it for points. There was so much playful trash talk and cheating from the littler kids. I loved every minute. Everyone was so happy to just be with each other that day. At one point, I sat in a chair near Cap's tutu. I really took a shine to her and asked her about life experiences here on the island. She told me much about the development and how it's changed over the last 40 years. All the roads and hotels. How her parents were still little kids when Pearl Harbor Day happened. I listened, completely spellbound. She was an endless book of stories. Cap walked over and interrupted our conversation. Aloha. I need to take him over to the shores. He hasn't seen them yet, and we're due to fly out tomorrow. Kapono kamea kakoa. His grandmother reached up and pinched his arm playfully. Be safe, please. As I was walking away with Cap, I asked him to repeat his name for me again. It's my full name, and yes, I dare you to say it five times fast. Kapono kamea kakoa. Kapono kamea kakoa. Ah, dang it. I kept repeating it until I got it right, and then he gave me a light-hearted punch in the arm. Uncle, we're going to the shores. You want to come? Or are you chicken? Cap gave his uncle, who was honestly only five years older than us, a taunting look. Cap was up to something. I can handle it. Can you? Are you sure your mom won't kill me? Only one way to find out. We'll only be gone an hour anyway. His uncle gave a confident nod toward the road, and the three of us began walking away. Cap took out his phone, and I saw the light from his screen drift up onto his face. It was dark out, and we continued to walk down the road together. Let's take an Uber. He then looked at me directly. I've got something I want to show you. Cap got a big grin on his face. I could tell our Uber driver was not thrilled with the address. In fact, it did take us three tries to even get someone to pick us up. Part of that may have been because it was Christmas, but I think, based on everything after, it was the location itself. The car rolled up to a gate of a parking lot that was closed. Where are we? I asked as we got out of the car. Kayana Point. I still don't know what that is. It's a state park. There's a regular hiking trail that leads down to the beach. We stood there for a moment, looking at the closure. It wasn't until the Uber driver was completely out of sight that Cap's uncle spoke up. Come on, follow me. He started walking off to the left. It was about eight minutes before an opening in the wild brush came upon us. It was beaten down and a human-made path that led right up to a tidy break in the chain link fence. Are we breaking in? I asked hesitantly. Cap smiled and nodded his head for me to follow his uncle toward the fence line. I didn't move at first, and then Cap spoke up. It's no big deal. You can stay here if you want. I shrugged and followed his uncle beyond the chain link fence. I had to duck a bit to fit through the hole there, and I also wanted to be careful to not make too much noise. We were so quiet walking toward the hiking trail. After a while of listening to the breeze, I decided to break the silence. So, you two are being particularly mysterious about all this? 
Cap smiled, and then I saw his body language pick up as he spoke. Okay, man, here's the thing. This is more than just some touristy side of it. We're ghost hunting tonight. On Christmas? Out here? I was genuinely confused. I understood that ghost hunting had to do with lots of tech equipment, and in the very least, an old building was involved. We were in the middle of full nature. Yep, Kaleo is going to tell us the story. He pointed over to his uncle. We continued to walk for another ten minutes or so before I saw Kaleo stop. Right about here should be fine. Kaleo leaned himself on a large black stone just off the path. He then looked over to me. Alright, so what have you heard about the Night Marchers? Absolutely zero. I admitted to them both. Ah, nice. I finally have a fresh audience for once. I shuffled my feet a bit and placed my hands in my hoodie pockets. Night Marchers are the long-dead warriors of Hawaii. Kaleo pointed to the mountain face standing tall behind him against the black night sky. They descend down into the ocean. Cap then decided he also wanted to rest and found a nearby rock to sit on top of near the trail. As we continued to listen, the wind shuffled through the brush about us. Some also say that these spirits assist with guiding the recently deceased into the next world. Another theory is that they are looking for a portal back into existence of mortality that we have. But one thing is certain that everyone agrees on. This is a path you can never interrupt. You won't survive it. What happens if you do? Get in the way, I mean, I asked. You have to first understand that where you are standing right now to them is sacred ground. A battleground lost and a procession of men marching home. I watched Kaleo then turn to face upward at the sky and give an affirming nod to himself. I tell this story a lot, and each time I think it's because I've mentioned it so much that it won't affect me as much as it did before, but there is something about this that just rattles me to my soul. So, I'm going to be completely serious in asking you to listen. Kaleo then waited for Cap and I to nod or say okay before he continued. I was in the park with six of my friends. We'd broken in and I was 14. Tutu, you've met her. She used to tell me the night marcher stories. What signs to look out for to know if they're nearby. If you're indoors, you're pretty safe. But I used to listen at my window to see if I could hear the conch shell horn or a low rhythm of drums. But one warning she said was to look for the torch lights on the ridge. That meant they were coming and going into the ocean. You've seen our house. It's right up against the beach front and their final destination before the other world. I would have all kinds of nightmares as a kid, as though I'd just woken up, but I'd see a soldier holding a spear with blood-red eyes staring in through my window. Their gaze brings heat and fire. If you catch the attention of too many night marchers, they cook you alive by all just looking at you. And not only are we standing on their sacred ground, they are far more likely to come out during nights of Kanaloa. What's that? I asked, leaning in. He pointed a single finger to the night sky. 
I looked up and around, but then looked back to him, confused. No moon. Just like that night when I was 14. We were hiking together, but then I decided I wanted to climb over some rocks to cut a shortcut on the path that we were taking. And I just got myself a little lost. My six friends said they'd meet me around the bend as the path switches back up the side of the mountain. I waited, and they never came. I waited for about 30 minutes alone, but then I did, I swear I did. I heard a drum. A single drum that didn't have a strong beat, but it was slow and consistent, like a death processional. I started to panic a little, and I started walking down the path back to try and meet my friends sooner than later. But the more I walked that way, the stronger the smell of death came to me. The smell of sulfur. I could feel myself walking into danger more and more. Then I looked up behind me, and I saw small balls of light. They were torches, walking along the ridgeline above me and moving down. I felt pinned. Going lower down the mountain hiking trail gave me a gut feeling I was going to move into danger more, and the night marchers were certainly coming down from the top toward me also. What did you do? I asked. I'm not ashamed to say, I curled up into a ball on the trail and I cried with my eyes tightly shut. For about two hours, I heard the drum distantly, with the bellow of a conch shell drifting over the wind. After that, I was so exhausted, I actually fell asleep on the ground. The next day, the police found me, and only one of my friends was wise enough to fess up that we'd all broken into Kayana, and that I got separated. That's crazy, I said, smiling at Kaleo in the dark. They rise from the ocean, and are probably, right now, already marching on their way toward us. The conditions are perfect, and they're coming. And if you don't hear the drums, you'll certainly recognize the trumpet. A low, vibrating howl that echoes across the valley. These warnings are to serve to tell us mortals to get out of the way immediately and inside. We are not to look upon these men. The three of us heard a rustling of leaves and a crunch from dried palm tree nearby. Aloha! Kaleo called out over the dark forest area to where the sound came from. You guys, stay here. Kaleo walked over to investigate the sound. He was almost 20 feet from Cap and I when we heard him give a slight yelp, and I saw him bend down to the floor and lay face first into the dirt. No, Cap said in utter panic and grabbed at my arm, pulling me downward. Get down, look at the ground, keep your eyes shut, now. I rolled my eyes. I wasn't going to fall for his uncle's hazing. We were in the middle of one of the most beautiful landscapes in the world. It's just at night. I mean it. Do it now. Cap had a frightened waver in his voice that made me second-guess my skepticism. And I did as I was told. It was so quiet, save for the wind in the trees picking up. I actually remember a heatwave-like feeling of wind brush over me a few times. I kept my eyes shut and decided to relax and enjoy the experience. It wasn't until I heard a muttering string of sentences in a language I didn't understand. Then my brain clicked. It was in Hawaiian, 
and it was coming from Kaleo. He was praying. I'm not sure how I knew that, but I did know it. He was scared. But as I listened to the trees, I could have sworn it was the sound of a horn. A single raining note that bounced around the air above me. It sounded far away, but when I felt myself begin to slightly panic, an awful, wretched smell hit my nose. Smell of death, I thought to myself. Cap, I whispered. Cap didn't respond, but I was too scared to open my eyes, and the prank started to feel like it was going too far. Then, without thinking, I blurted out, Kapono Kameo Kakoa! I said it loudly and with indignance. But in that moment, the wind stopped. The imagined or not imagined horn note in the air ceased, and the air cooled back down to an even breeze off the valley. I opened my eyes, and Cap and Kalea were also starting to break free from their petrification. And as they stood up, we all immediately started walking back to the fence opening. Both Cap and Kalea were shook, and I could see it. Why did you two get down onto the ground like that? Kaleo and Cap looked at me. Kaleo then said, That day, after the police found me, I told Tutu when I got home. She told me that getting down and closing my eyes was the exact right thing to do. You attract their gaze when you try to look at them after you've noticed the torches. It's best just to lay down eyes shut out of respect for the spirits and let them pass. You saw the torches again? Cap asked Kaleo. All Kaleo did was nod to the both of us. We made our way back to the house, and Cap's mom was kind of upset when she learned where Kaleo had taken us. Cap sighed and hung his head, nodding to his grandmother. She patted his shoulder and pressed her forehead to his. They then broke and hugged one another. They stopped when Jake called Kapono's full name. Kaleo interjected, and the room went quiet. Then I'd say you three were very lucky, his grandmother winked. I asked Cap the next day, as we were sitting on the plane to go home, why was it lucky I called out your name last night? Cap shifted in his chair and then spoke. For the night marchers, Hawaiians are very interconnected to their family and family lines. Kokoa is a common surname. It's about as common as Smith is for Europeans. Night marchers leave you alone if there is a spirit among them who know you to be part of their family line and will usher the other spirits to leave you alone. What was it your grandmother said to you in Hawaiian? It was yesterday, right when we got back and everyone figured out where we had been. Kapono Kamea Kokoa looked at me with a grim face. It's an old Hawaiian adage. She said, in a word there is life, in a word there is death. Thank you for listening. I greatly enjoyed writing this story for you, and I hope you enjoyed it with me. Have a happy holiday to you, and I'll see you soon.